Good morning. Glad you're with us today. Let me begin by making an introduction. Uh, Denitra Hodge is someone I want you to know. Denitra, you mind standing, giving away where you are? Uh, tell you a little bit about uh, Denitra. Uh, she has moved to our area to be with family. Um, she's the sister of Delania and, of course, Tim Lawrence. Uh, she told me she's a billing specialist for a very busy chiropractor. Uh, and between that and her dog Milo, which happens to be the cutest ever, wouldn't you agree? Uh, she stays pretty busy with those. And I thought, there she is seated in the middle of family, uh, but you're also seated in the middle of family. And so we are glad, Denitra, that this is now your, your church home. So get to know Denitra. Also introduce uh, another couple, uh, Ken and Peg Gaines. They're seated toward the back. Y'all mind giving a wave of saying where you are? Tell you a little bit about Ken and Peg. Uh, Ken is a physician. Uh, he's also a professor at Vanderbilt. Mainly now he spends time doing research, uh, and his specialty is with stroke victims. Uh, Peg is retired, and I asked her about this, and she said, well, she at one time owned a printing company, and then later owned a publishing company producing a magazine, and she still buys and refurbishes old buildings. I don't think she's retired, uh, but uh, quite accomplished, and, uh, and wonderful people. Get to know them as well. They've got four children and four great-grandchildren, and we want this to uh, be their church home, and we're saying welcome to them, so introduce yourself to Ken and Peg. As, as well. Um, good news to share. Uh, after our summer, we our family, where we've done a lot of different things, um, we are kind of back on track with our usual schedule for the fall, and we've got a whole new set of classes starting Wednesday. Uh, so that list is in the bulletin. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, you know, one of the things I think we've enjoyed is the variety, uh, a lot of different activities this summer, serving, just fellowshipping, being together. Uh, but I think now we're also hungry to get back into our Bible class and, and into a routine. I think that'll be good. And we're uh, uh, continuing our small group Bible study. Uh, it's our second meeting of those. Not too late to join a group. Just see Chris Burton or any minister or elder. We'll be glad to plug you into a group. We're continuing our study of Joshua, and this study is helping us to see that God had tried to give this land to the previous generation of his people, but their minds were more focused on the giants in the land, and they lost heart. And when they lost heart, they lost faith, and then they lost the land, and they ended up staying in the wilderness and ultimately lost their lives. When faith gives way to fear, it never ends well. So what we're seeing in Joshua chapter 1 is that God, what he wants to give, must be taken. But the taking requires warfare, and warfare demands courage. So as we are in this first chapter, we're seeing about where to go to take heart, because three times God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. And just like the people of that day, the same for you and me, the biggest obstacle for you and me is not the giants out there, it's what's in here. It's, it's what's in here. Because that was their situation, and that's our situation as well. So three times God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, and each time he gives reasons. 
Now, here's the challenge with this text, because we're so familiar with the story of Joshua, we'll read right through it and not hear what he's saying. So I want us to see these four different reasons he gives to be strong and courageous. The first two we've already mentioned in the, in the last two lessons, uh, God's integrity and our inheritance. You can take heart in both of those. Joshua 1.6, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And I want to, in today's lesson, to see two more ways that God shares where we can find courage and strength. So keep reading verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, for you shall, so, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So where do you go to take heart? Where do you go to get the strength and courage that God wants to give? Well, you take heart in his integrity. What God says he will do. You take heart in your inheritance. He promised you this. And then third, you take heart in the guidance of God's word. Here's what I want us to note in this situation. I think it's quite interesting that what we've got in the setting here is God is talking directly to Joshua. Joshua's talking right back to God. They've got this one-on-one -on -one conversation going on. But the success of the people is contingent upon their response to the obedience to the written word of God. What God had already told Moses to write down. Passages like Deuteronomy 31.9 says that Moses wrote down the law God spoke to them. Is this not exactly what he's referring to here in verse 7? Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So verse 7 is, is referring to the law that Moses wrote. God told Joshua verbally... If you want success in the land, you obey what's written. I think that's worth noting because have you ever read a story in the Old Testament where somebody like Joshua has this one-on-one -on -one conversation with God and you thought, man, I would love to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. That I've got a question and I could just go to God and say, God, here's my question. And God would answer me directly. Sometimes we read these stories in the Old Testament and we're jealous of them a little bit. Thinking, man, if I could only have that kind of opportunity. But I wonder if we give ourselves too much credit. Because as we say that, if I, if I did that, if I had that moment, if I could ask God, then I would obey whatever he told me. But why should he give you more instruction if you're not reading and heeding the instruction that he's already given you? Again, notice, God tells Joshua to tell them to obey what was written. Look how Paul describes how this is designed to work. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice, to get to verse 2, where it says transformed, you have to go through verse 1, where you're living a life of obedience. Obedience. 
That's where you discern the will of God. Even the people in the Old Testament had to obey the written law. This is the truth of God that's never changed. So God is explaining in these opening verses a very critical truth that is really timeless. It was true then and it's true now. The degree to which they would be successful in taking the land of promise was contingent upon how much they would obey the written instruction. So the people of Joshua's day are really no different than the people today. You and me, the blessings of God come when we are obeying, following the word of God. Do you remember how Paul commended young Timothy about how much he knew the Bible, how much he knew Scripture? Look on the screen in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you have known those from whom you learned it. And verse 15, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What scriptures is Paul talking about here that Timothy knew from his infancy? He's talking about the Old Testament. And from his infancy, I looked up that word. Some translations say childhood, but the actual Greek word means newborn. It really does mean infancy. Parents, take note of this. You can teach your children. And they can learn. That's why we as your church family come alongside you. That's why we have nursery Bible classes, preschool Bible classes, faith farm, tween class, our student ministry. All that to come alongside and help in those moments. And then look what follows. Verse 16 and 17. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you see the same principle here? The degree to which you would be successful? For them taking the promised land, for us and living the best life, is contingent upon how much you obey the written instruction. I use that word written instruction intentionally because, and this may be something that you've known all your life, or may just be something that you need to get today because Written instruction is really what's going on here. The word, the Hebrew word for law is Torah. You've heard that word before, Torah. The the Hebrews thought of the first five books of Moses as the Torah. They were called the Torah. And really that just means the law. But actually the word Torah translated means instruction. And the reason why that's key is that's how they viewed Old Testament scripture. When they would say the law of Moses, what they meant was the instruction of Moses. Now, the reason why I bring that up, and I think it's worth noting, is for us, the word law, almost by default, has a negative connotation. It does for me. Does it for you? When you think of law, you you, you think of rules. Maybe you think of limitations. You think of restrictions. You think of limits. The law keeps you from doing what you want to do. The speed limit, for an example. But the instruction to them didn't mean a restriction. It didn't mean a limitation. It didn't mean it's keeping you from doing what you want to do. The word instruction to them means explanation. This is the explanation how to construct or how to properly assemble 
So they follow the instructions not reluctantly, not forcibly, not because they have to, but because they want to, because they want the instructions of how to have this best life. Look at Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The New Living Translation might be a better rendering there. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all the time. We don't love the law. Who, I, mean, I remember early on reading that verse thinking, oh, I am not there yet. I do not love the law. I respect the law. I know I need to obey the law, but I don't love it. But here's how they saw it differently. Oh, how I love your instructions. This is your plans for the best life. That's why I love them, because I know you want what's best for me. I love the guidance you're giving me. That's what we're saying here. Think of assembling a, a, a swing set for your children. Now, if you've got any gumption about you, you can probably put every bolt and nut and lock washer together perfectly. Maybe. But would you want to risk it? Because you don't want to just put it together and make it look right. You want to make sure it's sound, it's secure, it's, it's safe. Everything is put together just as it's designed because that one that you love so much is going to be on it and you want it to be just right. That's what we're talking about. Oh, I love your instructions because you want what's best for me. You want this to work to its best. That's what we're talking about here. You want to get it right. That's why you're willing to read the instructions. Nobody likes to read instructions, but you want to make sure you get it right. That's what we're talking about here. So the scriptures, the law, there is this, there's a sense of expectation. If I read this, if I do this, if I obey this, then I'm going to get the best outcome possible. That's what we're talking about here. Now, it's important for us to grasp this because 40 years earlier, their biggest obstacle was the giants, right? I mean, that's the whole story of Joshua at the opening. The giants. Or was that really their problem? Was the giants the problem? Or was it that they didn't take God at his word? Which again goes back to step one and now step three. So what does the story of Joshua have to do with you and me? Well, just like God wanted what was best for them, God wants what's best for us. God's will for us is to take what he's promised, to give us the abundant life, this side of the grave. And this abundant life is through a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus lived to connect the truths of the Old Testament to the truths of the New Testament. You see how one they are. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said himself, I'm the good shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's that good. He's going to take care of you. He's going to give you the best life that he can give. Blessings and not bondage. And the key to this abundant life is remaining in his word. It's doing his will. The degree to which I participate in the abundant life of Jesus and all the blessings that he promises is completely related to the degree to which I follow God's instructions. You cannot separate the two. This is a timeless principle of God. 
And I'm not obeying begrudgingly or, or out of duty. I understand this is what God wants for me. This is what He's promised for me. It's the best life. So I follow these instructions because I trust Him. I trust Him to keep His Word, to keep His promise. That's who He is. Note in verse 7, it says, God tells Joshua to be careful to obey that you may be successful. But how can you obey if you don't know what they are? How can you follow the instructions if you've never read the instructions? Do you remember the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? He, he played the FedEx worker that was on the plane and went down in the middle of nowhere. And so he's on this island just trying to survive. And he's got this one package. Do you remember that? If you saw the movie, he's got this one package that, and he doesn't open it, which to me is just amazing. A lot of symbolism there. We won't get into that. But on there, if you remember, somebody had, had drawn some wings, and that's what gave him the inspiration to, to, to do something to get off the island. Well, after the movie came out, you might remember this, it was Super Bowl time, and FedEx made a commercial, kind of a spoof on this. And they answered the question of what was in the box. Do you remember that? I'll put it on the screen. Let's see if you can watch it. five years with this package and I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx that's very admirable thank you hey well, by the way what's in the package uh, nothing really just a satellite phone GPS locator fishing rod water purifier and some seeds just silly stuff thank you again you keep up the good work What's in the box? Nothing really. Just a satellite phone, global positioning locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff, really. Thanks again. Keep up the good work. I think of that FedEx guy from the commercial. And I think, what's inside? How many people think about the Word of God as you've got your Bible? And you carry your Bible. And you take care of your Bible. But what's inside? This, this, is, this is just a book. This is paper. This is words on, a, on, on, on sheets of paper. And yet it's more than that. What's inside is God's truth. God's will. But how many people... Even folks who go to church don't have a clue what's inside. Here's another principle, and I want us to get this. Taking heart in God's word is taking God's word to heart. And this is what he mentions here in verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Shall not depart from your mouth, that's what he says. You can't stop talking about it. That's what he's saying there. That, that's what he's meaning here. In fact, he goes on to explain meditate in verse 8. Meditate just means to mutter. 
that you're constantly talking about. You're keeping it on your lips night and day. You can't stop talking about it. There's never a time that you're not talking about it. And get this, you're not doing this so other people hear you talking about God. The whole purpose of this meditating is not so that others see you doing this. This meditating is totally self-serving. It's keeping it on your mind. It's keeping it on your heart. It's keeping it in front of you. It's for you. You meditate for you. And this is why, you know, the Scripture talks about this from beginning to end, about keeping the Word before you, but how you do it is up to you because we're all wired differently, different ways to do that. Well, what does meditation have to do with taking heart? Well, let me give three practical observations here. Number one, meditation helps us to remember the word. Now, some of us have better memories than others, but it's difficult to live according to the instructions that you do not remember. God has given us a brain with incredible recall. Now, we doubt that more and more these days because we get so much information coming at us, we can't retain it all, but yet it's in there. It is in there. Meditation is a discipline that helps us to remember the Word of God. How many of you can remember commercial jingles from decades ago? Yeah, they're in there. I looked up a couple, just the top 10, top 20. Just a few came to mind. This will date me. Some of you are older than me, though. You remember these. The best part of waking up? I'd like to teach the world to sing. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. Had to throw that one in there. All these food related ones, but we remember. Our brains are created with an amazing ability to remember, but we must choose the focus. That is the key. Look at Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Folks, here's a challenge for all of us. We've got screens and screens galore. All kinds of things are competing for our attention and our memory. But we need to choose what are we going to focus on. Because let me be blunt. Listening to one 30-minute sermon a week, even attending a Bible class on Sunday morning and Wednesday night is not going to cut it. We're talking about more than just a Bible study here. We're talking about some type of meditation. This is something you do. What do you need to do to take God's Word and you're writing it on your heart? Parents of little ones, You've got to be intentional about what goes into the minds of your young ones. Because for one, you know the world is trying to put all kinds of other information out there. And there are several resources to help. When our kids were little, and and it's still out there, Steve Green has had them in your heart. If you don't know about those, it's just scripture set to, to songs. And it gets in there. I asked Susie about what, what does she recommend. And she talked about Rob Evans as the donut man. Never heard of him. But I looked him up. Worth investigating, parents. And there's others, too, I know. Teens, adults, this is not a child issue or concern. All of us need to be meditating on the Scripture. The text here in Joshua, he didn't say, get your children 
to memorize. It doesn't say that. This is for all of us. Look at Psalm 1911. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Stored up your word. Some translations say hide. Some, some translations say laid up in your heart. Well, how do you do that? Well, let me tell you about Mark. Mark leads a Bible study similar to our small group Bible study. And, and, and four other leaders, they decided, let's just take it one step more. They meet once a month to encourage one another, pray together. And, and part of their encouraging one another, they've decided to memorize Scripture together. Well, Mark told about a time he was waiting in the airport, and there was a weather uh, system coming in, and, and, and these flights were just canceling right and left, and so he was concerned about what a disaster it would be if he didn't get back on that Thursday night because he had a whole bunch of work that was piling up on Friday. He's looking at his phone. The email is piling up, and he's just getting anxious and more anxious and more anxious, and then he notices an email from one of the guys in his group saying, what's the last verse you memorized? Well, he was sending this message to the minister, sharing the story. He says, the passage I memorized was the very thing I needed at the moment, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he's typing it out. He says, needless to say, after shakingly typing the scripture, I prayed. And the anxiety was gone. And so I was left there to contemplate what a loving, kind, gracious God that we have. That he would give Rob a couple of moments at just the right moment to send me that email. So I would have that inspiration to tell me what I already knew. But I needed to be reminded of. Oh yeah, the flight made it. But with my renewed spirit. And the next day was a breeze. Here's what I want us to get from that story. The man was changed because he was reminded of the instruction of the word. You want the best life? Here's how you go about it. He meditated upon it. He typed it out. He followed it. He prayed. His anxiety left and peace came. But also notice this. No circumstance in his day changed at all. Now he was completely changed, but everything else happened just as usual. The biggest obstacle to experiencing the peace of God has nothing to do with giants, weather, any other circumstance. It has to do with what's in here. What's in here? Mark did not experience peace until he fulfilled the premise to the promise. He did not have peace until the word was brought to his mind. So here's the challenge. You do whatever you have to do. You may need to round up three other friends and say, let's meet together monthly and encourage one another. For you, it may be taking a verse and putting it on your mirror. It may be just something where you do sign up for some kind of daily email. There's all kinds of things out there, but you do whatever you need to do. Here's the instruction. You meditate on it. Didn't tell you how. But you do it. You're talking about it. You're constantly thinking about it. Let's go a little deeper. Number two, through meditation, the word becomes ingrained in our hearts and minds. And again, here's a challenge I alluded to it earlier, but I want to dig down a little bit more. We are always meditating on something. 
We're always feeding our mind on something. Work, school, even for mindlessly watching TV or, or looking at our screens at Facebook or Instagram or, or TikTok. Or, or, or I can't even keep up with all the new ones. They're changing all the times. But think about how often we get a down moment and the screen goes up. Folks, that's what we're meditating upon. And I'm not saying those are wrong, but what I'm saying is here, we need to make sure that we're also doing what God says here. You meditate on what is right. Understand how God created us. That whatever you're meditating upon, that is forming the content of your heart. That is what's filling your mind. Jesus talked about this. Luke 6, verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I didn't realize it. I think it was subconscious, but I have quit watching the evening news. It was always a thing for me. I'd watch the evening news, the national news. And I didn't like consciously decide I'm, I quit, but I, I did. Well, the other day I was at home and I turned on the news. It was 5.30. I thought, oh, I'll catch the news. And, folks, it was amazing because since the time I'd stopped watching the evening news, and I still catch up with what's going on, keep up, but not watching that program. It was amazing how much fear-mongering of our major news channels was going on. You know what I'm talking about. It is that the heat is going to kill us or, or the country is going to pot or it's this or it's that. And it's like that was just the opening. I changed the channel. I thought, I, I just can't do it. Because I thought, that is what we're feeding our minds on. We respond, we react, we behave based on what's in here. What's in here. That's what Jesus was talking about here. And get this, you have a say, you have a say in what's in here. That's what Joshua was talking about. You meditate on what's good and right. Now, our culture will tell us, and it's everywhere, I can't help the way I feel. I can't help the way I am. And you just have to accept that because that's the way I am. Wrong. That may be the way you are. That may be your desires. But if you look at the instruction of Scripture, you can train yourself to like things that at the current moment you may not like. I think about food. I grew up not liking broccoli. I like broccoli now. You know how? It's called cheese. <laughs> At first, it was like two parts cheese, one part broccoli. And then it became one to one. And then it was broccoli with a little bit of cheese. Now I just like it. I just like broccoli. It's a training. Few people like Forrest Gump just put on a pair of shoes and they become a runner. For most, they start walking, and then they'll run a half a mile, and then a mile, and then maybe they'll shoot for five, and the next thing you know, they're, they're going more. And they grow to the point where they like running. You have a say in what you desire. You can decide what you set your mind upon, you focus upon. And the heart is impacted by the overflow of the mind. And the more likely you are to do what is written in the Word of God, if the Word of God is written in your heart. That's what we're talking about here. And here's the challenge, folks. It is possible. I truly believe this with, with everything that I am. It is truly possible 
for what is right, for what is godly, for what is appropriate to become your natural response. You may have grown up with an anger issue and a short temper, but that is not who you are. God can change you and make you into a whole different person if you will let him. As a transformed child of God, your default can become the right choice. Now, as I say that, I thought about, what about Romans 7? Do you know about Romans 7? If you don't know about Romans 7, you need to read Romans 7, because Paul is just raw in that chapter. And he talks about what I, what I don't want to do, I do. And what I, what I know I need to do, I don't. And he's just real open and real honest with his confession there. And we love that because we have moments where we're right there with Romans 7. We know about that struggle. But that's what makes Romans 8 so beautiful. Romans 8 verse 1 appear on the screen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But notice a very matter-of-fact statement that follows in verse 5. Romans 8 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. Folks, that's the challenge. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. You have a part. You have a choice. All these other things are coming at you. What are you going to focus on? Give an example. Talk about a transformed life. James and John, you know the names. Sons of Thunder. Jesus picked them. And all throughout the Gospels, we're thinking as you read through there, why did Jesus pick them? James and John were, were just full of themselves. They were self-serving. They were reactionary. They were violent. Remember the times where he asked, James and John asked Jesus to call down fire. Remember that? And just wipe out the people that weren't behaving the way they should. Oh, they had so far to go. But if you fast forward to the end of John's life especially, John is the one, when you read his writings, he's writing about love. He's writing about love. He's writing about love. So much so, he's nicknamed the Apostle of Love. Are we talking about the same person here? Absolutely. Folks, this is your choice. Now, God is not going to force you to obey the written instruction. He's not going to force you this abundant life on you. It is your choice. And I'll add this, meditating is not about shaming. It's not about, I've got three friends and we're memorized in Scripture, what are you doing? There's no guilt, there's no shame. I thought about this and I, I remember when I was in, um, I think middle school, especially I remember middle school, maybe high school too, I'm not sure when we quit, but at some point in my life we quit taking a Bible class, daily Bible readers. Do you remember going to Bible class and they would say, okay, well, they do the class attendance and then how many are daily Bible readers? And you'd raise your... I remember thinking no matter how I responded to that, it was lose-lose. Because if, if it was like, uh, if you read the Bible every day, or if you didn't read your Bible every day, there was like some guilt there, like, I cannot raise my hand. I can't lie about that. I already didn't read my Bible all week. Now I can't lie about that. And I felt less than. I felt guilty about that. And then yet, if I raised my hand going, I raised my Bible. I read my Bible every day this week. How showy is that? How prideful is that? That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is you do whatever you need to do to get the Word in your heart. 
Here's number three. What you meditate upon is ultimately what you empower. You know, our smartphones are smart enough that if you let them, they'll tell you how much time you spend on them. You ever done that? And you think, surely not. You know, just a few decades ago, that's what the TV, you know, they say, this is how many hours we watch spending TV. And we think, we're not at my house. Yes, at your house. And that phone, yeah, the one's in your hand. What you meditate on is ultimately what you empower. How did Jesus defeat the enemy in the wilderness? By quoting scripture. What you meditate upon is ultimately what you empower to rule over you. Now, back to Joshua. That's exactly what happened 40 years before. Twelve spies went out. Remember the story. Ten came back talking about the giants, talking about the fortified cities. All the obstacles, I mean, all the focus was on the obstacles. Only Joshua and Caleb came back focusing on the promise. Scripture does not say, go back and read it. The scripture does not say that the ten gave a false report. It doesn't say that. It says they gave a bad report. That's the word in scripture, not a false report. Why? Because there were giants in the land. Remember? You go fast forward in your Bibles a little bit. We know one name, Goliath. The Philistines. That's another one of those. They didn't destroy them like God told them to. It wouldn't have been there. They didn't follow the instructions. But what they said was factual. There are giants in the land. There were fortified cities. There is no way in their own strength could these, this, this group of, of nomads wandering in the wilderness take out any of these people. That was a fact. That was true. But it wasn't all the story. Because here's something else you know. Facts Statistics can be manipulated to say all kinds of things. I read a newspaper article this week. It said, there are several undeniable truths about statistics. Now, remember this. When you're ever watching the news or anybody quoting numbers to you, first and foremost, they can be manipulated, massaged, and misstated. You've seen this. You've heard this. It goes on to quote, in the immortal words of Homer Simpson. I can't believe I'm quoting Homer Simpson in a sermon. But it says, all oh, you can come up with statistics to prove anything. 40% of all people know that. <laughs> but second, it says, if bogus statistical information is repeated often enough, it is eventually considered to be true. Folks, have we not lived that out? Have we not seen that in our own country, our own culture? It's the same about God. If it's repeated often enough, we believe it to be true. We experience it in our own lives. The facts were, there were giants, there were obstacles. There's no way in their own power. But the truth is, God had promised to give them the land. And he made them another promise. So here we take heart in God's integrity. We take heart in our inheritance. We take heart in the guidance of his word. And number four, kind of end with this, and it's a powerful note to end on. You take heart in the assurance of God's presence. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Why? Here's another reason. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's people saw the giants as bigger than God's promises. 
Joshua and Caleb saw God's promises as being bigger than the giants. What you meditate upon is what you empower. You have a decision to make. We could spend a whole other lesson just about God's presence, but we just spent last year, in fact, it was last fall, we did a whole series about the indwelling Holy Spirit. I think we understand that. But keeping the word in your heart can be more powerful than you realize. It's not just his word. It's also his presence. The final words Jesus is recorded as saying is in Matthew's gospel. Note this. This is our Jesus talking. This is our, our Joshua, our Yeshua. Matthew 28, 20. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Same promise. So maybe you grew up in a church, or maybe you're upbringing in such a way that there was a strong emphasis on the word or scripture, and not so much about the indwelling power of God in you. Or maybe you grew up in a, in a situation where it emphasized the Spirit and you don't know the Word. What we learn from Joshua chapter 1 is the two go hand in hand. You really can't separate the two. God said to Joshua, you take heart in my words, you take heart in my presence. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the message of Joshua is really timeless. God is with you. You can face anything. What you meditate upon is what you empower. Take heart in God's integrity. It's who he is. It's what he says. You take heart in your inheritance. It's what he's promised you. You take heart in his word, his written instruction for the best life. And you take heart that he's with you. We end this message by giving you an opportunity to become a child of God. If you've not yet confessed your faith, if you've not yet repented of your sins, if you've not yet been baptized, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Or if we can pray for you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage? I'm going to trade my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children.
I got so engrossed in taking notes this morning, I almost forgot to come down front. And, uh, but it's always a pleasure to stand before you as your shepherd and uh, encourage you. And let me get all my notes here. There are not that many this morning. We just want to say thanks again. If you haven't already passed your attendance cards in, the young men are coming down to collect those at this time. Uh, we will have a coffee social back here in the back where we hope that you'll take advantage of going back there so that we can get to know you better. And uh, we'll do that. It is, it is our, it's my privilege, and I think I can speak for the other elders, to shepherd this congregation. We see so many good things happening, so many visits being made without being assigned, and so many other things that happen in our community. Columbia is a great place to be. It's a field that is ripe for harvest, and we need to be ready to do that and share our love of the Lord and our love for the people. And this morning as we close, uh, I've prepared some written comments that will be our prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Father, let us go forth today into the world that's around us in peace and dedicated to your service. Let us hold fast to that which is good and let us uh, uh, render to no man evil for evil. Strengthen the faith, the faint-hearted, support the weak and help the needy and the affected, the afflicted, and honor all people. Let us love and serve you, Lord, rejoicing in the power of your spirit. May your blessings be upon us and remain with us always. In the name of your Son and our dear Savior, Jesus the Christ, amen.